Let's get started with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I come before you. In Jesus' name, I ask that you would bless us. Bless all those who listen. Father, I ask that you would put your hand of almighty mercy, the fidelity of your care, minister in great power to each and all of these dear ones who are listening to the program right now. Lord, I ask that your spirit would be stirred in our hearts, that we would truly have the grace to read the signs of the times and interpret them in the light of the gospel. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, on Sunday, it was the feast of St. Paul the Sixth, as in Pope Paul the Sixth. He was the Pope you probably know, who uh, who followed uh, Saint John, Saint Pope John the Twenty Third, who uh, inaugurated, who announced, and then uh, began the Second Vatican Council. And Pope Paul the Sixth was elected uh, as his successor, and then continued with the final three sessions of the Second Vatican Council. So the council began in 1962, and the first session, again, was over, uh, was led by uh, John the Twenty-Third, and then the sessions in 63, 64, and 65 were presided over by um, Pope Paul VI. One of the themes that shows up there is in Gaudium et Spes, which is the Pastoral Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, in paragraph 2. It talks about the Church in every age, in every age, the church has the duty of reading the signs of the times and interpreting them in the light of the gospel. And so it means we need to have our eyes wide open as it concerns the things that are happening, the things that are unfolding in front of us. So having that sensitivity to pay attention among all the things that are showing up what are the things that we ought to be paying attention to? And the things that are showing up and that we're paying attention to, what are we to take of them? What are we to make of them? What are we to do about them? Well, today on the program, I ended up stumbling across an outline from a radio program I did in January of 2020. So that was almost, well, a year and more than a year and a half ago. And it was uh, 10 facets of, 10 different, if you will, readings of the signs of the times. Like reading, like what, what's manifesting itself in the world right now and what are we to do about it? And when I read the way of describing like the nature of the moment, these particular uh, facets that I identified then, I'm like, wow, this is so relevant to today. So worth exploring today. So in the program, I'm going to go down and I'm going to share with you 10 different meanings of this moment, including, I'll just list them for you right now, an overwhelming moment, a Marian moment, an Elijah moment, a Benedictine moment, a Good Samaritan moment, an anointed moment, an ecumenical moment, a paradoxical moment, a Kairos moment, and a calamitous moment. 
Those are a lot of moments in there. <laughs> so that's why I, I like using that word facet because then you immediately think of a diamond. Well, maybe you do. When you think about facets of a diamond, right? It's one diamond, but it has many different uh, it has many different profiles. You can look at it from many different angles. And when you do that, if you kind of hold that diamond up in a light, and the, depending on how you're turning it, the facets are going to reflect. There's going to be something that particularly shines forth from that diamond that you wouldn't get if you only looked at it from one profile. And so that's an important, that, that is an important task for us today the task of discerning. Uh, and, and you know what? It's important to do that like in your own life, right? So here, just honestly, yesterday, yesterday was a, a weird day. And it had that weirdness to it that I was able to identify as a spiritual attack. Now, I'm not putting a devil behind every tree and a devil behind every happening uh, and a devil behind all the facets, all the different things that showed up in the course of the day. But there was a weirdness with the number, the degree, the intensity, <laughs> the extent of these different tests and trials that kept hammering away at me, putting pressure on me. I ended up getting sort of woken up. You know, you get kind of woken up out of a sleep in, let's call it like, late into the night, right? So early then, you'd early you'd get up if you got up early, right? Like 4.30 early. So I, I woke up around 4.30 for no good reason. But when I woke up, I had this situation unfolding in my life on my mind. And it was just a little thing. It wasn't really a really big deal or an important thing, but it started weighing on me immediately and I couldn't fall asleep. You ever have that happen? And I'm like, Lord, please, I just I just surrender this to you. And I, I really wanted to be able to get a good night's sleep, peaceful, restful sleep, because I had this real estate exam that I was taking in the morning. And um, I, I really wanted to get a good prayer time in the morning, go to mass, make it to the test. And then this like is three and a half hour test, right? <laughs> well, I gotta tell you. So I could barely get back to sleep. So I ended up getting up even earlier than I normally do. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll just get some extra quiet time in my prayer. And then I started getting phone calls from the East Coast from a situation happening in my family back in Boston. And I'm like, really? This is what I have got to deal with right now? <laughs> so I'm like dealing with that. And I'm like, all right, this is just Okay, let me just kind of push it off. I'll deal with it later, right? There wasn't an emergency. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a family crisis, but it was just like, all right, I don't want to get into extensive conversations around stuff. Let me just give it to the Lord, give it to the Lord. And um, so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to make it to Mass. So I go to Mass, 8 o'clock, and um, the priest is late. And, and I'm like, this is a time when the priest you can't be late, Father, because I need to get to this exam by nine o'clock. And I've timed it all out. I mapped it all out. I knew how long I had. And I'm like, please. <laughs> so Father comes rolling in five minutes after eight to start Mass. And I'm like, this is not helpful to me. <laughs> so even my beautiful plan of saying, Lord, I honor you first. I'm going to pray. I'm going to have a good quiet time. I'm going to... Uh, you know, peacefully enter into a surrendered uh, uh, prayer time and then mat. And it's just like, oh. So by that time, I started figuring it out. I'm like, all right, there is like 
stresses and pressures coming against me that don't make any sense. They're not ordinary or normal and very situational. And I'm like, why this morning? Why all at once? Why are they pounding on me? And uh, am I missing out, uh, like, missing out on the peace that I had, I had planned for? Well, thanks be to God, I ended up getting to the test on time, and uh, it went well, praise be to God, um, finished it in an hour, and passed, so praise be to God. In fact, I ended up getting back a couple more hours of my day, and I was able to get more stuff done. But the point was that I had, like, this, just this, like, pile, piling on of stresses and pressures, and, and I was trying to, like, get clear about how do I get through these? And I got to tell you, just be aware of that in your life. Be aware that when you are pursuing the Lord or pursuing the path that the Lord has for you to take, if you're pursuing uh, a, a, uh, a goal that is in accord with the way that God is is wanting you to grow and go in order to fulfill your purpose and mission, you should expect resistance. You shouldn't be caught off guard. If things start going haywire and weird, you shouldn't be surprised if there's a dimension of spiritual attacks that start coming against your life. And then realizing that that's happening, to be ready to take appropriate action. And what does that appropriate action look like? What do we do to act appropriately in relationship to these kinds of spiritual attacks? And and for me, it had to do with really entering into the mass with acts of self-giving, of joining in with the act of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross that I was privileged to be in the presence of the act of, of self-giving, of being part of that offering. Lord, I just give you everything. Lord, I just give it all to you. I give you all these relationships. I give you all these situations. I give it all to you, Lord. Please, Lord, you take over. You take over. You take over. And it's not always easy to get there. It's not. It's so interesting that earlier that morning when I was... Um, taking my time to pray the office of readings, I had mentioned, and I mentioned to you on, on Sound Insight, how many times the office of readings have as a theme in the Psalms that they chose or choose, themes of desperation, themes of being overwhelmed, themes of being uh, unable to deal with the surrounding enemies. And here's the funny thing. I was reading these Psalms and I had to stop. I probably stopped at least 10 times and went back and had to start over again or repeat sections of these Psalms because my mind kept wandering away into these situations that had got me up early. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm reading the Office of Readings that is normally prayed in the middle of the night, like at 4 or 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> and these are like monks and religious who choose. They make the decision and commitment to get up that time to pray in the middle of the night. And, and I just like, wow, they're standing in solidarity with all of those brothers and sisters 
in the body of Christ who get woken up by the situations and circumstances that that make us emotionally distraught, make us triggered and make us like dysregulated to use some psychological terms, just make us stirred and, and disturbed and, and just feeling anxious and worried and, and, and get our minds spinning and we can't stop. It's like, wow, these beautiful like priests and brothers and religious sisters and they they hear the call and they get up and they pray those prayers. And they do so in solidarity with all of us who have those times and those trials, those situations in our lives when we're in that, we're in that condition. And they're like, I got you covered. I got you. I'll pray that with you. I'll pray that for you. I'll pray that. And spiritually, you'll receive this impulse of blessing into your prayer. And so even though I was like not praying with the like the fervor and the devotion, I was praying more authentically in the very condition of the Psalms that I was praying that morning. <laughs> even though I had to keep stopping and going back and read through that again, I'm like, whoa, I just like read through that unconsciously, prayed through it unconsciously. And now I'm looking back at it. I'm like, that's exactly my condition. <laughs> It's so funny, praying the condition of one who is feeling powerless, overwhelmed, desperate, you know, anxious, afraid, all those different things. And I'm like, I, I can actually be reading the words and not even being aware that that's my condition because I'm in the condition. Are you tracking with me? So I love the spiritual solidarity that the church beckons us into in the office of readings to join with brothers and sisters who wake up anxious and overwhelmed by what's happening in their lives right now. If that's not you, if you're not in that condition, if you're like in a peaceful, joy-filled condition, because things are just going well for you right now, give, give great thanks to God, praise God, and bless his holy name for being in that kind of condition today. Just really be grateful. Just say, thank you, Lord. Because I'm going to bet that you will remember times in your life where you were overwhelmed, facing trials and difficulties, where things felt like they were spinning out of control. And it was just like too much. And it's hard in those circumstances to, to make it to the Lord's presence. It's kind of like at the end of, uh, at the beginning of Mark chapter two, where the the four friends are carrying their paralyzed friend on the stretcher, dig the hole in the roof and put him to the feet of Jesus. That's like the bo- that's like the church. That's like the body of Christ, the priests and religious praying the office of readings. They're carrying us who can be, let's say, situationally or uh, emotionally paralyzed by what's happening in our lives. And we need the body of Christ, the church, to carry us and place us at the feet of Jesus so that he, seeing their faith, will say, be healed, rise, walk and be free. Amen to that. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I mentioned at the beginning of the program that I'm drawing on a theme found in the Second Vatican Council, and it's uh, it's the theme of uh, the moment and how we live in a particular moment. And by moment here, I don't just mean a space of time. I mean that the time that is unfolding, the historical uh, reality in which we are operating, in which we are living, is something that is invested with meaning. It's something that has that God is involved in. 
And so one of the themes that manifests itself coming out of the Second Vatican Council uh, is this theology of events, the theology of mining the depth of time and listening deeply for what manifests itself in time so that we know how to respond. That was with Gaudium et Spes, paragraph two, the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. The final document approved at the Second Vatican Council um, was promoting in, in, in the second paragraph that in every age, and that means in our time, that means in your today, that means right now we ought to have our eyes open, our spiritual eyes open, our spiritual ears attuned to the way that the Lord is at work in our own lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our parishes, in our communities, in, in, in the wider world. Lord, what are you up to? Lord, where are you as all of this stuff is unfolding? And so I identified, this is again back in January of 2020, 10 different facets of this moment. And I did an act of reading the signs of the times. Like, let's mine the moment. Let's let's dive into it. Let's drill into it. Let's, let's see what the Lord is asking of us based on what's showing up. So I'm going to go through these 10 different ways that I identified this present moment. The first one was it's an overwhelming moment. Actually, I'll just read all 10 again just to give you a sense of where we're headed. I called this, these 10 facets of the present moment. It's an overwhelming moment. It's a Marian moment. It's an Elijah moment, a Benedictine moment, a Good Samaritan moment, an anointed moment, an ecumenical moment, a paradoxical moment, a Kairos moment. Kairos is a Greek word, means time, and it's a calamitous moment. All right, let's go back to the first one, an overwhelming moment. And here's how I stated it back then. <clears throat> the inundation of information about the crisis, as I was naming it back then, this is again pre-COVID, <laughs> or just as COVID was about to uh, dawn on the Western world, uh, dawn on America, dawn on the world in which you know you and I are living, the inundation of information and its impact on us, that there are negative impacts on our lives and wow, boy, have, have things changed since then? I, I had no idea what was coming, the pandemic of COVID-19 and, um, and then all of the impacts on our lives. Who would have guessed? Well, what I put in parentheses in that uh, first overwhelming moment was, are you growing in holiness? What a great question. It's like, do you realize that no matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter what's happening in the in the wider world, the opportunity in the present moment remains the same. Become a saint. Pursue the Lord. Pursue his kingdom. Pursue righteousness. Th that's always available to us. And in fact, isn't it the case that we can become so overwhelmed by the information, so inundated by the information that we take in, right? Especially through our handheld devices, our internet connected devices that provides us in the moment, on the spot, just in time, access to so much information, we can't process it. And so we become overwhelmed. And becoming overwhelmed, we become paralyzed. And then we end up not taking action. Well, I want to say to you that 
If you're feeling this is an overwhelming moment, consider how do I turn off the spigot? How do I shut off the sources of the overwhelming information that inundates us, that can paralyze us, that can make us freeze up? And let's get back to basics. Let's go back to the foundations. How can I grow in holiness today? How can I fulfill the duties of my state in life? Lord, how do I know you, love you, and serve you today? How do I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength today? Am I seeking you in prayer? Am I seeking to follow you in my day-to-day situations? Right? So that's the first facet. Let's turn off the spigot. Let's get back to basics. Let's remember first things first. Are you growing in holiness? The second moment, the second facet of this moment is it's a Marian moment. And for me back then, this is a January 2020, I was saying then, let's be listening to the Blessed Mother. Let's listen to her message given at Fatima. Again, that's 103 years ago now. Are we really taking seriously the call to pray, do penance, and make reparation? That that was a message that the Blessed Mother entrusted to those uh, two saints and third, Sister Lucia will likely become a saint one day, but um, Jacinta and Francisco, two saints, uh, little saints, right? And, and when they were not only like heard the message of the Blessed Mother in Fatima, but they were shown They were shown the reality of heaven and hell. What did they do? Well, they prayed, they did penance, and they made reparation. They gave their lives over to serious works of prayer, penance, and making reparation, right? What's making reparation and doing penance? That's about them recognizing the failure of so many in the church, in particular, to take seriously that call to grow in holiness, that we were settling too quickly and easily for sin, settling too quickly and easily for um, not well, being apathetic to the sins that were happening around us, the ways that the church was not being salt, light, and leaven in the world, and that we had a part to play. And if we weren't going to play our part, well, then we ought to do penance. We have to make sacrifices, little things, little things that would make life more comfortable and easy. No, let's surrender those things. Let's make reparation for the sins of the church, for the failures and the faults of so many believers who were settling for less. And so it seemed to me that this was very much a Marian moment, a Marian moment. Like, let's not take for granted the gift that was given from heaven to earth back in Fatima in 1917. Third, I'm going through 10 different moment, wave profiles, different facets of this moment. I called the first an overwhelming moment. Hey, let's grow in holiness. Second, a Marian moment. Let's listen to the message of the Blessed Mother and let's pray a rosary every day for poor sinners who are near to death but far from God. And let's be willing even to do penance and make reparation on their behalf in their place and for their sake. The the third is, it's an Elijah moment. And so 
How did I say it back then? The understanding of the anti-gospel of the world as a source of today's problems in the church. And in Elijah moment, if you heard me, uh, this is something that I know I've repeated on again, off again in the last 18 months, 20, uh, however long that's been, um, that the moment when Elijah faced the Israelites and said, how long will you straddle the issue? How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, the, the foreign god, the false god, follow him. But the people did not respond. And remember, it was Elijah, the last prophet, against 400 prophets of Baal. And Elijah is bringing forward the moment, the situation the Israelites are in, saying, you can't make pretend that you don't realize that you can't keep doing what you're doing. You can't just keep living the way you're living because in your attempts to straddle this issue, your feet are on two ice flows that are floating apart. And at some point, you're going to fall in the water. You're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to be on this side or are you going to be on this side, the, that side? That is the question. How long will you straddle the issue? And I think of all the, the different moments, this is one of the most telling for me in the last 19 or 20 months since I first went through these 10 moments, uh, that this Elijah moment is certainly one that has emerged more and more strongly, that what's happening in our wider society, the broader culture in America, has certainly floated further and further away from a Catholic vision of life and Catholic ideals as it concerns what life means, what we are to spend our time doing, what is considered moral, what is considered noble. So much has just floated away from a Catholic vision of life. And so um, being Catholic and being American live in ever greater tension, ever greater disparity, ever greater distance. And it's becoming harder and harder to straddle the issue. And so at some point, um, it is going to become even more painfully apparent that I can't simply live here, work here, uh, accept this happening in our culture right now, and call myself a good Catholic. So that's the Elijah moment. Well, today on Sound Insight, this is Tom Kern. I'm reflecting on 10 moments, 10 um, ways of understanding facets in, uh, in the time in which we live and interpreting them in the light of the gospel. What are we supposed to um, do about this? Well, this leads me to the fourth moment. It's a Benedictine moment. And again, this is a theme that if I took a look at the last 21 months is one of the prominent ones that has played itself out more and more um, clearly as, oh yeah, that's true. Lots and lots of folks are recognizing this. The Benedictine moment is that idea of the Benedict option, that in order to foster a Catholic culture or a Catholic Christian way of life, I'm not able to do it alone. And the community that I'm living in, the wider like civil 
community is just less and less supportive of a Catholic Christian way of life. And so I, if I'm going to foster faith in my family, especially in my kids, I need to choose those situations where faith will be intentional, it'll be rigorous, it'll be vigorous, it'll be based on the conviction of families, entire families who say, I am in for this, I want this, I am called to this, and I'm going to do this. And that can happen any place. Any, wherever you are living, you can look around and you can discern and reach out to others and say, let's walk together with a, a degree of intentionality. Let's make commitments to each other to support and encourage and hold each other accountable to a God-given vision of life that we have for ourselves and our families. One place where that's showing up is in educational decisions. Um, you know in the last year and a half how many families have chosen to move to like co-op situations or hybrid schools like the um, Regina Chaley um, Hybrid Academy that now opened up uh, in Kirkland is where the I think the school is gathering. And, and uh, that's one example. But I see this shift to Catholics, uh, to classical models of schooling and a liberal arts tradition of education as a, um, as a really um, uh, a magnet for this Benedictine moment. It's like a magnet for families who are saying, yeah, I want my kids to be discipled. I want my kids to be around other kids who come from families that are doing the kinds of things that our family is doing. And so um, I'm, I'm really excited to see that that's happening all over the country. It's certainly happening out here in uh, the Spokane area with uh, the rise of the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame um, doubling in size you know, opening up with something like 43 kids and almost doubling in size the second year, which is an amazing sign of what happens when you have families together like that. And then at St. Charles at the K-8 through level, the Catholic school uh, has seen explosive growth. And then to see the same thing happening in the Seattle area at St. Monica's and Mercer Island, at St. Mark's and Shoreline, uh, at uh, well, Emble Heights Academy has been around for 20 years uh, pursuing uh, a a form of private education in the Catholic tradition. And then out at, um, out at, uh, out in Bremerton at Our Lady Star of the Sea with the new classic Aquinas Classical Academy. And so I'm excited. I'm going to be actually speaking from seven to eight in the evening on Thursday night at St. Monica's about the way in which we can learn from a classical way of, of education in our own lives as disciples. Like, what difference can that make for your life as a disciple? It's not just for parents with kids at the school, but it'll also give you insights that you'll have for yourself or you can bring into your own families drawn from the um, classical education or the liberal arts uh, tradition of educating. And then this, the on Friday night, I'll be speaking out at Our Lady Star of the Sea to that parish on the same theme. I'm very excited about that. Um, all right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. I am talking about 10 moments, 10 facets of the present moment and how if we ponder what's 
emerging, what is in front of us, we might just be able to, to, to sense ways in which God is at work, ways in which God is at work and, and beckoning us forward, asking of us to take steps. And, and, and sometimes these steps are um, more than just like a little step. Uh, I, I like to refer to this moment as one of those like no half measures moment. I think that would be one of the um, other ways that I would talk about uh, this moment uh, that maybe wasn't quite as apparent um, back then, that the Benedictine moment, this idea of living out a Benedict option in our lives, um, might also include the reality of no half measures, that more will be asked of you in this moment than maybe ever before if you are intending to foster faith in your kids and handing on faith to the next generation. Half measures are not going to get the job done. All right, I still have six more moments to go, and I'm going to get through them before the program ends in Jesus' holy name. Okay, the sixth moment, the five moments so far I've covered are the overwhelming moment grow in holiness. The second moment, the Marian moment, a call to prayer, penance, and reparation. The third, Elijah moment. It's no longer okay to straddle the issue. We have to make a decision to be Catholics who happen to live in America, not American Catholics. The fourth is a Benedictine moment. This is not a time for half measures. This is a time to be in with a degree of intentionality that goes beyond maybe what we expected. The fifth is a Good Samaritan moment. And when I say a Good Samaritan moment, that, I, that really means a willingness to stop and to let the path that we're on to be disrupted, to be uh, interrupted in order to reach out to those who are suffering, to those who are agon- in agony, to those who have been traumatized, and to help foster healing, to bring compassion and healing to the suffering. That seems to me to be another facet of this moment. And there are so many different, this one all by itself, a Good Samaritan moment. Who are the ones that have been beaten up and left on the side of the road by the robbers that have robbed them of good things? You know, who fits that category? Wow. There's so many that we could put into that category. All right, so it it could be everything from the unborn, you know, in that 40 Days for Life campaign, and I, I was talking about that. It could be those that are the victims of clerical sexual abuse and the um, need to foster efforts to bring about healing in their lives. It could be um, those that are, um, are depressed, those that are suicidal, and as a result of the um, various policies that have led to um, different forms of shutdown um, because of the pandemic that we're in. Uh, and so how do you reach out to, to people that are, especially young people, that are having suicidal uh, thoughts and um, self-harming activities uh, because they've become so weighed down by things that are happening right now? Or you think about the crisis at the border, the southern border, and what's happening with all of these immigrants who are, who are coming in and who are not being um, properly met or 
properly processed into the country and, and, and these people coming with hopes that lead them into situations where they are um, uh, abused, where they are hurt, where they are uh, in very risky situations and in dangerous situations and what are we doing for them i mean again there's so many different profiles of this good samaritan moment that we're in we can't do every good thing but we can do something the sixth moment these different profiles these different facets of the call we have today i think of this as an anointed moment an anointed moment i think of our baptism, when we're anointed as priests, prophets, and kings. Priests, prophets, and kings. And it seems to me that we need to learn again how to be, how you and I were baptized, so we share in the anointing of Christ. We share in that reality that we're called to be priests, that is, to provide spiritually for our families, to be a go-between, to go before God on behalf of our families, and to go before our families on behalf of God, to be prophets, to protect our family with the truth, to speak the truth that they most need to hear, to protect them from being led into darkness, to being led into bondage, to being led into brokenness. And kings, priest, prophet, and king. A king is one who is a servant leader, so where are we willing to go first and influence others to go in a good direction, in the right direction, in God's direction? And so it's an anointed moment. It's a moment where that anointing that has been given to us ought to flow forward, move forward in us as we lead, provide, and protect in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own families. The seventh is it's an ecumenical moment, an ecumenical moment, an ecumenical moment. When we think of ecumenism, it's that effort that is made by Catholics to reach out on the basis of what we share in common with brothers and sisters who have faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's so much that we share in common. The way that church teaches it and talks about it is that there's more that unites us than divides us. So in ecumenical activity, the emphasis is on, first of all, what we share in common. And it's the one whom we share in common, Jesus Christ. And so it seems to me that in this ecumenical moment, there's also a reference to the ecumenical council of Vatican II that the authentic teaching of Vatican II had themes that are vastly misunderstood today, like dialogue, encounter, and openness to the Spirit. And if we can recover the authentic meaning of the Second Vatican Council around dialogue, encounter, and openness to the Spirit at work, in the world, in our brothers and sisters who share faith in Christ— you know what we'll find? We'll find that there's more that unites us than divides us, and we need to stand united with other brothers and sisters who are committed to living their faith with vigor, with conviction, with a sense of uh, uh, courage and uh, a generosity, right? That's what we can do today. 
So for me, this idea that it's an ecumenical moment is really about recovering the authentic teaching of the Second Vatican Council when it comes to the reality of dialogue. Dialogue is what? Dialogue is more than just a debate. A debate is about ideas. A dialogue is about persons, persons who have ideas, who hold certain beliefs as precious and true. And in dialogue, we seek to understand. Don't let me think that I already know in advance what you believe, but let me see if I can seek to understand through listening. But then let me also be willing to take a stand, taking a stand about what we believe, about where we stand regarding what is true, regarding what is meaningful about the world in which we live. It's also about encounter. You see all the incredible teaching coming from the Second Vatican Council about this reality of encountering Jesus Christ. You could begin with St. Paul VI, St. Pope Paul VI, uh, first encyclical on, uh, on the paths of the church, Ecclesium Suam, and the encounter with Christ. And you could go forward and look at his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Nunciandi, on evangelization in the modern world to St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, this theme of encounter, the encounter with Jesus Christ that makes all the difference, that makes all the difference. And, and fostering that sense of encounter, that Jesus Christ is at work, and Jesus, we want to meet you. We want, to, we want you to be a parent in our lives and through our lives. And then this openness to the Spirit, like, this idea that the Holy Spirit has granted so many beautiful gifts in our lives, and we want them to, to be set free. You know, we want them to be stirred into flame, like St. Paul said in 1 Timothy, to stir into flame those amazing gifts. That's what we want. And do you pray for that for yourself? Holy Spirit, please set those gifts alive in me and in my family. All right, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I want to finish the, the last three moments of the TED. Back in a second. Welcome back to Sound Insight. I should have said back in a moment. <laughs> I said back in a second. It's actually more like a minute. Uh, but back in a moment, uh, I'm talking about 10 moments that really mark the present moment in which we live. And I'm just trying to do what the church asks. In every age, the church is called upon to read the signs of the times and interpret them in the light of the gospel if we are to fulfill our task. And I don't know about you, but I want to fulfill the task, the mission that is mine. I, I, I'm confident you want to fulfill the mission that is yours as well. And so I'm just trying to mine, I'm trying to discern, I'm trying to dig into, Lord, what are you saying to us through what's unfolding right now in the world? And so this outline of these 10 moments, these 10 profiles or facets or, or, uh, or, uh, or aspects of the present moment that I wrote back in January of 2020, they're still powerfully relevant today. Okay, I've covered overwhelming moment, a merry, uh, overwhelming moment, 
no matter how overwhelmed you are by life circumstances, you can always grow in holiness. A Marian moment. Paying attention to our Blessed Mother and her call to pray a rosary every day to do penance and make reparation, especially for poor sinners who are near to death but far from God. It's an Elijah moment. It's a moment when we're called upon to realize we can't straddle the issue any longer, that you can't peacefully live in this current moment in this world and just take in all that the world is pouring forth at you and think that you're going to be able to flourish in your Catholic faith. You won't. It's a Benedictine moment, and that means it's a moment where half measures are not going to be sufficient. If we are going to hand on the faith, we've go, we have to live our faith more intentionally with others. It's a Good Samaritan moment. It's a moment where we're called upon to reach out into the places of suffering to bring compassion and healing after the manner of the Good Samaritan. It's an anointed moment. It's a moment where we're called to... Uh, recognize and live out our call to be priest, prophet, and king in our own lives, in our families, uh, in our marriages, in this world, to lead, provide, and protect those that are under our care. It is an ecumenical moment. It's a moment to recover the authentic teaching of the Second Vatican Council, an ecumenical council, a worldwide council. Included in that is that facet of reaching out to brothers and sisters who share faith in Christ through dialogue, encounter, and openness to the Spirit, and how those themes will help us to discern and live the call that is ours today. It's also a paradoxical moment. This is the eighth moment. There are three left. A paradoxical moment. By that I mean we have to be aware of Catholic fundamentalists. Catholic fundamentalists. And what I mean by that is that you can have people who are really insightful at, for instance, like gathering news, doing investigative reporting, reporting on current events. And they may even be incisive when it comes to diagnosing the problem, at least in some ways, diagnosing the challenges and problems facing the church today, internally often, but also externally. But just because you're good at diagnosing doesn't mean you're good at the treatment plan. Just because you're good at diagnosing doesn't mean you're good at theology. Just because you're good at investigative reporting doesn't mean that what you say about the church or how you present the church's teaching is in fact right. And sadly, there are a number of Catholic fundamentalists who quote a teaching of the church in a way that is actually more wrong than right. You can say right words. You can say, here is what the church says, teaches, but actually get the meaning wrong. And that, sadly, is something to be aware of. That's the paradoxical nature of this moment, that there's a richness in the church's teaching, there's a mysterious dimension to it that goes beyond sometimes the simple formulas and radical claims that, frankly, are just more like fundamentalists than like truly Catholic. Okay, the ninth is, it is a kairos moment, and by that Kairos moment, I hearken back to a theme that comes from St. John Paul II, who talked about this as a new springtime, that there's a new Pentecost that leads to a new evangelization. Um, and I, I've, I've shared with you in the, in the intervening 21 months, uh, no, yeah, about 21 months since I first went through these 10 moments back in January of 2020, that uh, Pope Benedict's insight that the new springtime is very well on the horizon, 
but it'll be preceded by a new winter. So a new winter will precede the new evangelization. And what does that mean? Well, it means that, well, what we've already been experiencing, <laughs> that the numbers in the church continue to go down, the influence of the church in our culture continues to go down, the vibrancy and vigor of the faith as a salt, light, and leaven in our culture is disappearing greatly. And so the idea of sources of renewal, sources of vibrant energy and real transformation, where are those? Well, it's feeling like a winter before the spring, but it'll take that new Pentecost, that new Pentecost to really help foster the new springtime. And that for me would be one of the sources of vigorous renewal happening. And it's those places where there is an expectation in faith for miracles, for supernatural interventions of the Lord in our lives. And people who pray with that expectant faith, who have that sense of the Spirit's gifting and anointing to pray with others for signs and wonders and deeds of power, an expectation of miracles and seeing miracles happen, healings happen, that is a powerful source of faith being revived, faith being received, faith being deepened. And so pray for that. Pray for a Kairos moment, a moment of breakthrough, a now is the time breakthrough where God becomes so obvious that he's unavoidable. And the obvious unavoidability of God is also the magnetically attractive God who is love and who beckons us to give our all to him. So pray for that kind of Kairos moment. The last is it's a calamitous moment, a calamitous moment. Well, that is a, that's a hard one, and it's the one I'm going to finish on um, because I don't want it to be a calamitous moment. Um, but what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that St. John Paul II, in his encyclical on um, missionary activity in the church called Mission of the Redeemer, Redemptoris Missio, said that the biggest enemy of the work of evangelization was apathy. The greatest obstacle to the proclamation of the gospel happening in the church today is indifference. Just not caring enough. Just not caring enough to make our lives be troubled, bothered, to make our lives uncomfortable, to ask us to stretch and give, to extend ourselves, to be generous, sacrificial, all of those things. We just don't care enough. We enjoy the benefits of faith. We enjoy the blessings of knowing the Lord. We love to call upon the Lord, asking for him to rescue us and give us peace to protect us and provide for us. But when it comes time for us to extend ourselves, to deny ourselves, to give of ourselves, to suffer and sacrifice a bit, indifference and apathy quickly cling on. And we don't proclaim the gospel with much courage, conviction. We don't stand up and push back. We don't speak out because it would just be a bit too uncomfortable. Well, the remedy for apathy says St. John Paul II, is charity. The remedy for
for ap- apathy is charity. And that doesn't, I'm not talking about giving stuff away monetarily. I'm talking about love, self-donation, giving of oneself, all of those different qualities I was just describing. The remedy for apathy is charity. Until it isn't. Until it isn't. Well, what does that mean? Well, then, if we don't, in fact, step up and step forward and give of ourselves with that divinely inspired love living within us, then the Lord will step up and he'll step in and he'll provide a remedy. And if you look at the scriptures and you look at our tradition, the remedy for apathy is charity until it isn't. And then the remedy for apathy is calamity. Calamity. When you have something really bad happen, like widespread, not able to be overlooked, not able to be ignored, God got your attention and is going to shake you loose. If you don't wake yourself up, he will wake you up. If we don't wake up, God's going to wake us up. The remedy for apathy in this moment, my brothers and sisters, is for us to burn with the love of Christ. The love of Christ impels us. And if that love of Christ is not impelling us, sad to say, something else just might. That's the calamity. I don't want it. I don't pray for it. But I want all of us to end up with the Lord in heaven. Come what may. Lord, come. Come and set us free to be vigorous disciples in this moment. Amen. Thanks so much for being with me today on Sound Insight. Join me tomorrow. I hope you found this to be a blessing. God bless you.